people then said to the guard, who's the chief official that appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. That sounds like a good New Year resolution. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food, and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. So at the start of this year, I could talk about healthy eating. Could do that. And some of you, I know, would have done the Daniel Plan diet that is based on this passage. But I'm not going to talk about that. That's just too hard. Having said that, some of you that were around a year ago will recall that we ran a series called Fit for Life. And one of the things that we spoke about was being physically fit for life. And that, as well as some other things, actually prompted some people to think about their physical health, and specifically their weight. And one of those people has actually tallied up with a bunch of other people, um, a load of people that have just lost weight this year. And they've um, tallied up 18 people that have engaged in different ways. And between them, they have lost 45 stone. If you're one of those people, God bless you. I mean, that's like three or four people less, isn't it? The question I want to, to think about today is this. Which battles in life are you going to fight? Which battles in life are you... What are you going to stand up for? And what are you going to live with? In the crazy world, the culture we find ourselves living in, what are you going to stand up for? And what are you going to live with? You see, the culture that we live in throws loads of challenges towards those of us who have the Christian faith. So things like gender fluidity, that's a big one right now. Genetic engineering of embryos. The definition of marriage. The rights of unborn children. These are big, important issues. But then there are the day-to-day things that we'll find in our lives. You know, if you're a single person, are you going to wait until you're married before having sex? Because our culture in general says, what's your problem? Everyone's doing it. Are you going to be a thermometer or a thermostat? You see, if you come to a view based on the Bible to wait until you're married, how are you going to relate to those around you who've chosen a different path? Are you going to get in their space or not? If you're married, are you going to stay faithfully married to the same person? See, the culture around us doesn't have that much of an issue in general with infidelity and divorce. So how are you going to live your life? And how are you going to interact with a work colleague or a friend or a family member who's having an affair? What are you going to do? Or at work, are you 
you going to be honest with your expenses, folks? Are you going to be a thermostat who sets a temperature of honesty and integrity in that way? Or when you hear that the culture in your workplace is to massage expenses, are you going to be like a thermometer and do the same as the environment you find yourself in? And those are just the few. In these, this first chapter of Daniel, there are a couple of potential battles that Daniel and his friends face. One, they fight, and the other, they don't. In verse 7, Daniel and his three friends are given new names. Now, they had good Jewish boy names. Their endings, E-L and I-A-H, give us a link back to God, to the name of God. And their meaning of their names, if you look into them, actually reflect different parts of God's nature. But they are given new Babylonian names. And some of them, for example, uh, Daniel's name, has an explicit link to Babylonian idols. And so these new names were a way of encouraging these young men to forget their God and to conform to the new culture that they find themselves living in. But they didn't fight a battle when they were assigned new names. The second battleground, verse 8, was when they were assigned royal food and wine. Now, scholars will tell us that the first portion of food was most likely offered to an idol, and a portion of wine would have been poured out on a pagan altar. And on this issue, they took a stand. Now, there are some particular reasons that probably informed the choices that they made. A name is an outer thing. It does not define you. If this morning you are a follower of Jesus Christ, Jesus defines you. Not the name that you've been given. Not any kind of name that anyone else calls you. It might be offended. You know, if I said to Rob, hi, Fred, he might be a little bit offended. Rightly so. But actually, his identity is in Christ. And so is yours if you said yes to Jesus. A name is an outer thing. It does not define you. You see, the Babylonians could change their names, but not their identities as worshippers and followers of God. But Daniel took a stand against the food and the wine, because it had been offered to idols. And he took a stand in line with the law that God had given through Moses. And so there are some specific reasons in this story that can help us understand the decisions that Daniel and his friends took. But I want us just to think a little bit more broadly this morning. Imagine you're in a workplace where you are not allowed to share your faith in any way. You can't mention Jesus. You can't wear any kind of religious symbol. You can't offer to pray with colleagues or those that you are serving. The question I believe you face is the same that Daniel's face. Are you going to take a stand, or are you going to live with it? 
or take the issue of gender fluidities. I've said already I believe this is a big issue. I think this is going to be one of the biggest things over these next uh, 5, 10, 15 years. In fact, I heard a sociologist share recently that actually when cultures get very confused around this kind of issue, it is actually one of the marks of terminal decline of a culture. It's a big issue. The question is, is are you going to speak up or not? How can we know what to stand up for and what to live with? Because if we try and stand up for everything that our culture throws at us, I believe that we'll become exhausted and die. Because there are too many things. So the question is, is what are you going to stand up for and what are you going to live with? And actually, I don't believe this is a straightforward question at all. And here's the reason why. In the New Testament, Jesus and John the Baptist lived at the same time. They were contemporaries. John was six months older than Jesus. And they lived at a time when a guy called Herod was king of Galilee. And Herod chose to divorce his wife and take the wife of his brother. And so both Jesus and John were living at that time. John spoke out and lost his head. Literally. Separated. Jesus was silent in the Gospel of Luke. So, was one wrong and one right? That's quite deep. I personally believe they were both right. You see, sometimes people ask me, Andy, could you talk about such and so? Or you might think, why, why don't we talk about this on a Sunday? And occasionally when I hear those things, we do. But most often, we don't. And it's not because I don't care or that I, or I don't have a view. It's just that there are some things that I've chosen that I don't want to lose my head over. How can we know which battles to fight? I'm going to suggest that there are two things that will really help you and I. Indeed, I believe these are two things that if you want to do well, as a follower of Jesus, if you want to do well as a disciple, then these are probably the two most important things for you and I to do. Do these in the context of Christian community, in the context of a congregation and a small group. Do them each day for these two things. Engage with the Bible and hear God speak. If you can do those two things, I believe that you and I will do really well engage with the Bible. We simply need to know what God has said and what he is saying about the world that we live in and about our lives. And so I can't exhort you highly enough, strongly enough. Engage with the Bible every day. In some way, engage with the Bible. For me, I would say ideally do it at the start of the day so that the Bible shapes and speaks into your day. If you've not read through the whole Bible before, why don't you make 2018 the year when you do so? I've just started again. I've used this before, but I'm using the Bible in One Year app. Um, it's written by uh, Nikki and Pippa Gumble, who are at HDB Church. It is a fabulously helpful um, resource. I can't uh, speak highly enough 
speak to one of us. There are resources over at the Books and Music desk. If you need a Bible, please don't leave this morning without getting a Bible. If you can afford to buy one, please go and get one over at the Books desk. If you can't afford to buy one, come and speak to me and I will get you a Bible. Engage with the Bible. That's the first thing. The second is hear God speak. Incline yourself towards the voice of God. Ask Him to speak to you. He's constantly speaking in my experience. Constant challenges for us tuning in, inclining ourselves towards His voice. So, times of prayer, times of worship, for me, walking. Find ways that help you open your heart to the voice of God. Now, I know that I've just given a very simple answer to a very complex question. But can I encourage you to start here? To engage with the Bible and to hear God speak. I believe that if you do those two things, that you will be well equipped to know how to respond as culture throws all sorts of questions towards you and I. If we're deeply rooted in the Bible, and if we're hearing God speak to us day by day. Now, if after engaging with the Bible, you sense God speaking to you, stirring you in some way to take a stand in one of these issues of culture that gets thrown across your path. How is a great way of standing up for something? What's a really great way of doing that? I'm going to share very briefly six practical pieces of wisdom from this first chapter of Daniel. And I'm going to acknowledge our very own Rick Williams, a planning pastor of this church, who shared these at the Bible Day on Daniel back in November. So I'm just putting where credit where credit is due. Six pieces of wisdom for how we can stand in a really great way. The first thing is have respect for others. Verse 8, have respect for others. Do you notice the way that Daniel asked for permission not to eat the food and the wine? He didn't just throw his toys or his food out of the crowd. He respectfully asked permission. Have respect said of Daniel. He had built a good reputation. Now how can we do that? Don't become a troublemaker. People generally don't like troublemakers. Build a good, favorable track record with those people that you live with, that you work with, with your neighbors, with your employer, with employees. Build a good life with them. Third thing, listen to and a the consequences for others. Verse 10. Do you notice the way that the chief official says, you know, Daniel, if I let you not eat well and drink well, I could lose my head. And it's just very simply this. When we take a stand, it has an impact on other people. And so we, need, we will do well to listen to others as we have these kind of conversations. Listen to where other people are coming from. Understand the impact and the consequences it may have on them. I believe we simply need to be like Jesus. John 
chapter 1. Jesus comes into this world full of grace and truth. We, in our lives, I would encourage us to be people that are full of truth. That's why we need to engage with the Bible. That's why we need to hear God speak. So that we are fully embracing, fully saturated in the truth of God. There may be questions about which we are absolutely someone who is also full of grace, full of love, full of kindness in the interactions that we have with other people. Fourthly, have a confident persistence. Verse 11, Daniel didn't get the answer that he wanted from the chief official, so he asked the second person. In other words, he didn't give suggest that if something is worth standing up for, do it for more than one day. Don't just do it on a whim. Having prayed and sought the counsel of God and asked him to direct your steps, is this something, God, that you want me to stand up for? God, how should I do that? Think it through, pray it through, do it persistently. Fifth thing, be solution focused. Verses 12 to 14, you see the way that Daniel is a solution to the problem he was identifying. He says, I don't want to eat this food, but actually, could, uh, could we just do a 10-day test to see whether this works or not? How many of you are energized by people who just love solving problems? Don't you find them just great people to be around? You know, the kind of people who say, look at that, look at that, look at that. Be someone who brings
maybe you remember this. Choose to live like a thermostat, not a thermometer. This conforms to culture. This transforms culture. Be someone who shapes the world around you. Amen. The ashes are out. That would be wonderful. We're going to have a time when we can pray, when we can respond to God in worship and by praying with and for one another. But I would love to pray for us all as we head into this new year that we see Daniel and his friends living. Lives that didn't conform to the culture and the world around them, but lives that transformed the world in which they found.